This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Tyler Sloat, CFO of Zuora, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 273. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, I asked performance management guru Brett Knowles what a finance team looks like in the year 2050. No longer do I need to have accountants going off and gathering the data. No longer do I need to have accountants actually capturing the data and doing the, the the financial transaction booking the the activity um, or reconciling the books or auditing the books or looking for control breaches or regulatory uh, non-compliance all that will be automated so the 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 manual task of gathering and processing financial information will not exist we don't need the team we do need someone chaperoning and stewarding the transactions and making sure that uh, you know, the machine's working correctly and, and using the right logic, but that's not a team sport anymore. Listen to our complete interview with Brett after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Hello, we're speaking to performance management guru, Brett Knowles. Brett, welcome. Good to have you with us. I'm very happy to be here and to share my ideas, as scary as they might be, with your audience. <laughs> Hey, they are scary. That's why we had to have you as a guest. But let me uh, begin by giving you a proper introduction here, and then I'll tee up our first question. Brett Knowles is a longtime thought leader in the science of executing strategy. He likes to refer to it as the mysterious science. His career stretches back to the early days of the balanced scorecard in the late 1980s. The scorecard, of course, was originated by doctors Robert Kaplan of the Harvard Business School and David Norton. Um, much of Brett's work over the years has involved the successful execution of balanced scorecards. In fact, uh, four of his clients went on to uh, win the balanced scorecard Hall of Fame. Uh, not an easy feat uh, from what I recall. Now, we're we're going to have a forward-looking discussion today about the finance function, so I don't want to overdose here on history um, and give listeners the wrong idea as far as what we're up to, but I, I think this is too good an opportunity uh, to pass up, and that is asking you, Brett, to, to look back in history and offer some context as far as how we got uh, to where we are today with performance management. And this is something um, 
we're keenly aware that you do very well as far as looking back. And I'm reminded myself um, of that book, uh, Relevance Lost, which I think uh, preceded the balance scorecard and was one that really pointed out how uh, management accounting had become trapped in the past. And it, it, there was a period there for many years that it clearly was not innovating. And in its own way, that book, which I, I believe Dr. Kaplan was also involved with, um, helped make people begin thinking differently uh, about management accounting. But le let's stop. Let me ask you uh, then to offer some perspective as far as how we got where we are today. My response to that would be uh, as follows. The, if you think of the accounting structure uh, gosh, it was invented back in the 1100s when we're focusing in on agricultural industry. We're moving tangible assets into tangible assets. I was changing fields into crops, crops into sheep, sheep into wool, wool into sweaters. And so a lot of the accounting structures were built around that tangible asset management manufacturing. So things like depreciation, where our farming implements decrease in value with increased use. And we did minor adjustments to the accounting structures, things like standard costing to help Ford better cost out his his product. In the uh, early 80s, uh, people like uh, Coopers and Robin Coopers and and uh, Bob Kaplan, you know, began to realize that the accounting structures weren't keeping track with how costs were aggregating. Uh, in particular, the the concept of activity-based costing is one where we thought we should allocate overheads more accurately. And the example there would be making a, a, an automobile has a huge component of engineering. And if I'm Toyota and I make the, a Lexus and a Scion, the Lexus is going to require way more engineering because it's a more complicated piece of technology. So to correctly allocate those engineering costs and product development costs, the concept of activity-based costing, where I use the activities to drive the costing numbers, came into prevalence. When I joined Coopers and Kaplan in the mid-80s at Harvard, uh, a new idea was emerging, and that is that maybe dollars are not the right unit of measure to use in the first place. And the great example of that would be uh, Jack, if you charge your listeners more for this podcast, would they learn more? Well, probably not. Dollars are the wrong unit of measure. To determine whether we're adding value from this conversation, we might want to understand how many notes are taking, uh, how many people ask you questions later, uh, how many people follow up on the books and stuff that we mentioned. So there are different measures that would tell us are we creating value in this conversation, and dollars are no longer that right indicator. So around about then, and of course, uh, Coopers and Kaplan, Kaplan in particular, wrote a book called Relevance Lost, which is trying to describe the, the dilemma with allocating overheads more accurately and, and activity-based costing. Uh, in about 1988, a new concept emerged or was brought to uh, Kaplan's awareness. Uh, Dr. Norton from Nolan Norton had brought forward the idea of the balance scorecard that had been developed through a number of parallel channels, uh, one of which was Allied Signal. And the, the net was, it looked at three other perspectives. Finance, of course, but in addition to the financial perspective, we take a look at customers, what do customers want and how well you're meeting their needs. Your internal processes, how well they're performing and how well they meet 
customer needs. Uh, and what was called learning and growth. At, at the time we were working with Peter Senge at MIT, he just written a book called The Fifth Discipline. So learning and growth is supposed to be talking about how organizations learn and organizations grow, you know, what we now call the enablers. And so we added those other three measurement perspectives onto what is a more balanced scorecard to balance out that short-term focus on finances. So that's sort of a, a short history of how the idea of performance measurement and management broadens its scope. What we do know is for any job that has a cognitive element to it, a thinking component, that in particular finances uh, and even paying for performance are particularly bad techniques because they miss the true value equations which come from thinking, uh, conversations, uh, and co-creation. Okay. Thank you. Some great perspective. Uh, you have set the table here for us. Now for the main course. Um, full disclosure, in an earlier discussion, Brett had uh, shared some casual thoughts on artificial intelligence. AI, and how it will likely impact the finance function. And I knew his thinking uh, on the subject you would certainly find of interest. So, Brett, uh, the jobs versus automation discussion has quickly become amplified in the last few months as more people like yourself begin to reflect on the growing AI capability in business and what it all means. Um, I thought I'd begin by asking you to sharpen your focus uh, for the purposes of this podcast and reflect on AI and the future of the finance function and the CFO role. And what are the implications really here for business, finance leaders, as more of these technologies are adopted. That's, a, a, I think, the, the great puzzle of the day. And I'd like to, uh, you know, be honored by your comment about being a thought leader. But in this case, I suspect at best uh, I'm a thought follower. Organizations like IBM, uh, we all know of Watson, you know, that computer that, that helped uh, win a chess game and, and play on Jeopardy. The... IBM team have allocated literally thousands and thousands of people to use Watson and include it as part of their ongoing product offerings. I'll give you an example. I recently watched the launch of their Watson logistics system, and they've uh, given Watson the job of looking at organizations' supply chain. And the example they used was, for example, let's say your supplier in China um, has a manufacturing problem or a, a employee problem or power problem. For some reason, they go out and can't supply your needs. Watson will automatically uh, understand that problem and the implications. It'll go take a look at alternative suppliers you have, uh, pricing systems, inventory, logistics times, and optimize that equation, give you a recommendation as to which supplier you should use, how many you should order, how you should be transporting it from point A to point B, where warehouse you should store it in, how many you should be storing to deal with just-in-time and logistics uh, timeframes, et cetera. And in the blink of an eye, begin changing your logistics system to track that new optimized solution. Now, 
we could all do that ourselves, but it will take us uh, hours and days and weeks to do what Watson's now been able to do just by intelligently looking through your current company files and contracts. Now, supply chain is pretty easy. You can you know, get your head around the logistics of that. But let's go to some other job functions. Think of, um, I don't know, doctors. Doctors, again, a very logical uh, process-oriented thinking. All they have to do is be on top of you know, the hundreds of thousands of, of new research papers which are published every single year and be able to apply it to your you know, sore knee or sore back, whatever you've gone to, and be able to synthesize what the latest thinking is, what the right drugs are, uh, what the right remedies are, and give those to you. Well, obviously, the human brain's not good at doing that kind of work, yet for tools like Watson, that's what they're ideally structured for. They can, as soon as any article is published, be able to graze through it, identify the key issues, categorize it, and, and be able to have it uh, immediately available at any point in time. And if you extend that, you think of, for example, lawyers, same thing. They, their job is to graze through countless cases and understand where there are similar lessons to be learned or matters of law that can be applied to the current case. Again, a tool like Watson can get that done in an instant and be constantly updating with the latest updates and any uh, jurisprudence that has gone on. So if we now begin to reflect that back to a CFO, you know, what jobs do we get involved in? We get involved with, I don't know, pricing. Pricing is a question of uh, what the market can bear plus what the cost is to have the product produced, transported, inventoried, you know, where those inventory points are, uh, what turnaround times are, uh, mixed with things like cost of capital, uh, taxation rates in different jurisdictions, and so on. Again, a fairly logical process that we as finance people spend hours and weeks festering over that, uh, in theory, a tool like Watson can optimize that in real time. Even as you go as far as things like, you know, processing of invoices, where should they be done in the world? Because at this point in time, you could produce an invoice anywhere in the world and have it show up on your desktop as quickly as if it was done uh, right next to you. So all sorts of issues about uh, knowledge workers, stability, uh, information systems and so on. We're constantly as finance people having to optimize against these complex equations and currently we're just doing it with our own brains and experience. AI is going to come in and take over many of those activities. Okay, now I think there are probably obvious areas where we're going to see <clears throat> AI play a role in helping sort of integrate uh, the different functions in an organization. But where is that integration likely to happen first? Maybe we should touch on, on your hypothesis about integration happening. I believe it's accurate. And, and the thinking is this, that uh, as we developed organizations, and if you think about it, organism, organization, that same Latin root, the idea of an organism is you've got a brain that sends out instructions. You've got specialist parts of your body that have specific tasks, heart, lungs, kidneys, and uh, your hands and, and feet and stuff. And so... The brain gives out different instructions to different organs for them to do their part in whatever the strategy is. If your brain says, let's go play football, your heart, lungs, feet, and hands have different activities to do than if you're going to be driving to work listening to this podcast. So that's how organi organisms work. 
And organizations are supposed to do the same thing. We've got these specialist bodies. Now, I think the evil thing that us thought leaders have done is compartmentalized our thinking to match those organs. We've got books on finance versus books on marketing versus books on operations or process and so forth. And we've tended to take a look at each of these organs departments individually. And I think we're seeing the emergence of a better thinking, which is understanding the holistic organization and how do they work together? No different than your brain thinks about your body in total, not organs individually. And that has a number of benefits. Most importantly for this conversation, I believe the bodies of knowledge are beginning to integrate so that I understand the linkage between things we've talked about before, like costing and strategy or uh, activities and drivers, but also strategy and employee engagement, employee engagement and productivity. Uh, how do you set up a meeting to be more effective is the, the manifestation of joining operational and management stuff together. So I believe that over time, we're going to see more and more thinking about how we integrate these things together. Uh, perhaps the best example I can give is we all learned in business school that there's a relationship between a risk and reward. Yet we continue to run those things as separate meetings. Your leadership team has a meeting on uh, rewards, performance, literally every week, every month. Once a quarter, they'll get together and have a different meeting on risk. Well, as we understand, these things are inexorably linked together. So if performance happens on a weekly basis, so does risk. And we need to learn how to apply what we've learned in performance measurement to risk measurement. And we need to learn the management sciences that we use in managing the organization to manage risk at that same drumbeat using the same sort of instruments. So there's an example where we've got two bodies of knowledge that should be incredibly tightly mixed together. We know it in our brain, but we've never bothered to go get it done. I think those are the integrations that are going to happen. And I believe AI tools like Watson will help that happen faster and better because it obviously can contain all we know about risk and contain all we know about performance and where those bridges are, where things cross over, it should be able to instantly be able to spit out information to us both on the risk side and on the performance side. Wow. I, I'm trying to uh, imagine uh, a young finance professional who's trying to build their career today as well as the, the finance leader who's trying to develop young finance professionals and put them on a, a career track that seems to uh, is going to likely evolve quite a bit in the years ahead. Are there types of skills or experience you believe will likely, uh, I don't know how to put this, hold its uh, employment value or career value uh, in the age of artificial intelligence? Well, certainly, if you wanted to uh, fan the flames of fear-mongering, uh, I, I would embellish the story a bit. I mean, if you imagine back in, say, 1915, there must have been a, a gaggle of horses, a herd of horses, I guess, out in a field, yakking with each other, uh, doing their morning calisthenics and having their cup of coffee. And probably horse one said to horse two, you know, don't worry about those new, you know, automobile things. Uh, they're just going to make our life better. If you fast forward to 2016, those same horses, or probably their their grandkids, 
are talking to each other, understanding that they are completely unemployable. All the activities that we used to use horses for have all been replaced by tools and machines. And that horse itself, at best, is just for entertainment. And so if we continue on with the, our current thinking, uh, our kids, our CFOs of today will be completely unemployable because the jobs that they did that you know they would do today are not going to exist in five or ten years time these AI tools will be taking those those jobs over so that's just to sharpen the point of that fear-mongering of your the overall question now <laughs> does that mean that we're not useful anymore no but it does mean that the the equation, uh, the social tech equation, by social tech equation, I mean any problem that you bump into as a CFO has a percentage of technical solution required and a per percentage of social solution required. So uh, 20 years ago, that might have been 80% technical and 20% social. Maybe now it's 50-50, 50% technical, 50% social. In the future, it's going to be 80-20, where... 80% of the CFO's job is a social job. The uh, socialization of solutions, the selling of solutions to other executives, the integration of that finance solution with the HR solution and so forth. So obviously the, the role of finance will never go away because finance is the common language we translate everything into in order to run the economy and businesses. But the role, the, the manual intervention of making that financial system work will be significantly different. Okay, so a finance professional's role will become 80% social, uh, a percentage I would point out that current career development methods uh, seem poorly equipped uh, to prepare people for. That's an interesting question. The question of uh, does the current CFO career path enable what I'm envisioning that future role to look like? And I would suggest uh, it does, although it obviously needs to be uh, intensified. So uh, the example there is if you think of any large corporation's CFO, whether you're thinking of uh, Google, IBM, Boeing, uh, United Airlines, those CFOs don't wake up in the morning and get sharpen their pencils and uh, put on their arm sleeves and uh, go do debits and credits. Their job is to socialize and sell the frameworks and concepts that their staff have prepared for them. Now, they may take strategic direction. For example, you know, consider looking at China, you know, consider using this other supply system, et cetera. But someone else goes off and does all the heavy lifting, the calculations and the recommendations and the, and the presentations, and the CFO synthesizes those and then works with what they know from the rest of the organization. Uh, and what they know is this. They, the senior dudes, they, the example is the more senior you get in the organization, the farther out in time you tend to look. So the, the, the clerk doing the debits and credits are looking out a day or two. The, the people doing the, the journals are looking out a month or two. Uh, VPs are looking out uh, three or four quarters, VPs three or four years, the executive, you know, three or four decades kind of thing, different time horizons. And so the CFO has always been looking out farther in time than the rest of the organization and looking at more the big picture than the individual transactions. Uh, 
So that part is consistent with what senior organizations already have. Now, if you're in a smaller organization of a couple of hundred people, not a couple of thousand, uh, more of your time is spent doing the transactions, but you still have to pause once a month or once a quarter to think more strategically or long term. So those components are there. Merely, I'm suggesting that the CFO 10 years from now will have the same mix as a senior CFO of a huge corporation. So if right now they spend 50% of their time doing the transactions and 50% selling it in an organization of 200 people, in 10 years time, it's going to be 80% selling the concepts and socialization and only 20% actually doing the, the mathematics and the accounting finance thinking. So I believe that framework already exists. Merely it's only 10 or 20% of the accounting population that has that footprint and in the future it will be much greater. Now, what does that mean in terms of a, the competencies or interest of people that go into finance? I think uh, it's been traditionally not uncommon for those people to be introverts or more numbers focused. And we're going to need to attract people who are more socially enabled and or develop those skills inside of current incumbents in the finance world. And that's doable, but it's something that we have to be mindful of and make sure it happens uh, effectively and correctly. Now, I want to uh, uh, discover something about the, uh, the future of performance management with you. I mean, how will AI change performance management? And can, can you give us some sense of when the changes you see happening are likely to occur? You know, I, I heard this interesting article the other day that someone was talking about these self-driving cars and made this great point. He said that, you know, a self-driving car doesn't have to be perfect. It merely has to be better than a human. Now, we all know how many car accidents happen from humans making dumb mistakes, not paying attention, texting, not seeing the streetlight. So, so long as we can create a, a machine that is better than our, our very faulty human capabilities, overall we win. That's a better solution than having a human driving the car. I think the same thing applies to how we monitor the performance of the organization. We don't pay attention to the street lights and the yield signs and what the other drivers are doing or, you know, the metaphor of businesses, you know, what economic signals are showing up, what's happening when the competitors, what's happening in the marketplace or parts of the organization like sales knows what's going on. That organ, though, doesn't communicate very well with the brain or the brain doesn't listen to that that message. So the leadership team is not hearing the voice of the customer or the voice of the supply chain and therefore are making decisions based on faulty data. Well, AI is not going to make that mistake. It's going to be listening to those trends and immediately setting off the check engine light or you know the warning signals to the leadership team about data points that we might have discounted or not been paying attention to. So I think it's going to uh, change how we monitor performance for the better because not only is it fault-free, it's going to track all those trends and send out the warning lights, but it's also 7 by 24. It doesn't worry about statutory holidays and, and long weekends and therefore uh, and time zones and what's happening in other continents. So there's a great book a couple of years ago called Who Moved My Cheese, which basically said we pay attention to things which are you know, right on our desktop and not as close attention to seismic events which are going on 
in another building or in another continent. Well, the computers don't have that problem. They're going to be as aware of seismic events next door as they are around the globe or who moved my cheese on my desk equally important to who moved the cheese on some person's desk on the other side of, of the world. So with that kind of uh, awareness and attention level uh, and relentless observation and also the learning that tools like Watson bring to the table, AI tools, that uh, the performance monitoring process will be finally what it is we all envision it should be. One to get a sense from you, we've been talking about, and you used the term uh, silos of knowledge uh, within the organization. And of course, we've been talking a good deal about the finance function, uh, but uh, there's HR, there's IT, there's all these traditional uh, areas where professionals have built their careers. And uh, in the sort of age of uh, artificial intelligence, uh, we've been talking about how finance is likely to change, but I, I'm wondering how finance, in comparison uh, to finance, how some of these other uh, uh, silos of knowledge and professionals that reside within them, how, how uh, uh, the longevity of their careers and how they build their careers are likely to change. Well, I think there's a tsunami coming. I think all functions are going to change. If we take a, even functions like sales, which you naturally think are just human one talking to human two, even in my career, I've seen how people buy things have changed. You know, back in the, the late uh, 80s when I had my first software company, we would basically have a crew of people dialing for dollars. They would just be phoning up contacts city by city trying to uh, badger people into buying stuff. Well, we tried the same thing last year. People don't answer the phone anymore. That's not how they, they learn about new software, new solutions. They, they Google it. And that artificial intelligence, Google, immediately gives you all your, your shopping options, allows you to compare and contrast activities. It's already a prevalent part of how we now sell and buy things. And people apply those to the business world as much as they do for your day-to-day -day, you know, personal lives. And so even the sales processes now are completely different. You know, you have to have that search engine optimization. You have to have the ability to answer those questions online or in chat sessions. People don't want to be talking face to face. So even in the high people, uh, you know, communication, socialization jobs like sales, it's changed. But if we the CFO function is different than sales. The sales function has always been about communication and uh, socialization, whereas finance is going to have a bigger transition because historically we've been focused on the transactions and making sure we get the numbers right and less on the people. So uh, our, our, our tsunami in the finance world is moving from transactions or technology, uh, technical solutions to social, more social solutions. And sales is the opposite. They're going from more social solutions to less uh, with technology taking a more dominant spot. And you can go department by department to begin to understand the, the tsunami of AI and how it's going to be changing how all those functions are done. Uh, the sad news is uh, horses are unemployable. There will be uh, some statistics say 65% of our economy is uh, powered by people doing things which AI will be able to do better, faster, inside of a decade. So within a decade, 65% of our North American workforce will be as unemployable 
as horses currently are. Now, what the speed of that technology taking root is, is a second question. But there's no question that the, the value add of those jobs is going to decrease exponentially over the next decade. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Yeah, I feel as though I, I have to take it back to uh, to the finance function here. Let me let me let me put it this way. The year is 2050-50. Does the finance team exist or has uh, the finance team become more multidisciplinary, I would imagine. And, and uh, what does it mean for the finance leader? Well, so I think the finance team does exist, but it's one person. So there is no team in finance and many other functions because the, the information that finance processes, in fact, isn't generated by finance. They're just the scorekeeper, the individuals in the organization as they do their activities, as orders get placed, as items get sold, as... Uh, Items get delivered and therefore trigger invoices. All those steps can be automated. So no longer do I need to have accountants going off and gathering the data. No longer do I need to have accountants actually capturing the data and doing the, the, the financial transaction, booking the, the activity, um, or reconciling the books, or auditing the books, or looking for control breaches or regulatory uh, noncompliance. All that will be automated. So the 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 manual task of gathering and processing financial information will not exist. So those those functions won't exist. We don't need the team. We do need someone chaperoning and stewarding the transactions and making sure that uh, you know the machine's working correctly and, and using the right logic. But that's not a team sport anymore. There's a limited number of people. So I think the job function changes uh, considerably. Not to say there's not other work for that that cognitive capability and skill set, but it's not what we think of as finance today. Okay. Well, some of these ideas are kind of uh, scary. Well, it's a scary world. Um, And it's... It, uh, again, it, it must have been what the horses felt back then or the people that manufactured buggy whips or... Like, there's so many parts uh, in our history where there's been... uh, transformational things in the in society that you should have seen coming yet for some reason you know the luddites are a great example right in the industrial era in uh, the united kingdom there's a, a collection of people that were opposing the the steam jenny and some of the automation that was happening on the shop floor uh, saying that it was going to you know whether it was religious arguments or others the luddites became sort of a religious faction that were fighting this um, advent of technology and they've 
become the the ongoing story of people pushing back on the inevitability of this um, insidious uh, ability of us to create smarter and smarter tools. I mean, gosh, you know, when I uh, when I was a young lad, you used to have to go to the phone and and the phone be mounted on the wall, and you'd you'd you know put your finger in the in the dial and and literally dial uh, the numbers, and you could you know, hear potentiometers clicking as eventually the connection was made. Well, you know, now my phone is smarter than I am. My, 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 my car is smarter than I am. My, my dishwasher, for God's sake, is smarter than I am. There, there aren't many components that, you know, I, I can get messages from my house telling me what temperature it is, messages from my plants telling me whether they need water or not, messages from my door about whether it's been unlocked or not. So it's the internet of everything. And as these things get connected, so does uh, the job of finance. It gets connected to all of these things. Brett Knowles, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Happy to be here. Hi, it's Jack at CFO Thought Leader. We're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.